0: The following podcast is brought to you by The Village Zendo. For more information, visit villagezendo.org. Good evening, everyone. Um, Kind of a sobering evening, Um, I guess just really thinking. And wishing that Donald had a peaceful journey out of this life. Thank you so much. And into the next, into the next realm. He can be free of his body confined in that tiny cell. And... just spread and be free. And it's kind of a miracle that from the depths of that tiny cell, you know, at this time, he managed to reach and touch all of us here, thousands of miles away uh, in New York City. Um, I too, I don't usually do this, but, uh, just yesterday, um, I read because I didn't see at first what he had written when Shogaku had sent out her notice of, uh, what was happening with him, that he had actually written these two pieces, these two letters, and so yesterday, when I was just trying to get a little bit more information on him, I, I read the letters, and um, they're incredible. Uh, they were, not where they are quite a Dharma teaching, and it seems very fortuitous uh, that it should be happening on this evening of Fusatsu which is our atonement ceremony, Um, our ceremony of becoming at one with everything, and particularly including our greed, anger, and our ignorance, all those things that we try so hard to push away, to bury, to cut off, to ignore. The ceremony is a reminder that, no, our path to healing and actual doing good in the world is to actually go right into them, which is always easier said than done. And I just wanted to share with you, because I was, as I said, really struck. By what feels like the sincerity and the depth of his words um, as a way to engage with our suffering. Um, so he says, I have an imaginary flute. And for those of you who don't know, he was in solitary confinement in a cell, you know, like seven by five by seven or seven by nine feet, for twenty-five to thirty years of his life. If you can even begin to imagine that, um, I have an imaginary flute that sometimes I play for this beautiful, gorgeous earth as a healing bomb for all the idiotic stuff we humans do to her. I share with her my heart and let her feel that I care. Well, this flute also serves another purpose. When I feel such sadness as I did that day, and I wanna say that this day was after he recently had his mother, his adoptive mother, uh, stepmother, who was one of the few people who regularly visited him and with whom he had a very close and loving relationship, passed away. Um, And then within a few days after that, the two other people who had been working on his case and regularly seeing him and engaging with him, each had to move. So he basically lost the three people with which he had been having a sustained human and emotional contact with. And, you know, he went into, you know, uh, tremendous loss, despair, and as you can imagine, uh, what that might feel like. So, When I feel such sadness as I did that day, I'll start playing the flute in my heart and let the sadness be the melody. What comes out is always so beautiful. All that weekend, I let my heart be expressive this way. I know to never suppress or repress anything. It's better to embrace and accept loss rather than shove it down and hold it inside. When we experience beauty, it's very hard to remain sad because beauty is also joy. Sorrow transforms into joy. After a few days, I was very much at peace with all this change. I knew that they all live in my heart. And even though we don't see each other physically, it never stops me from touching them spiritually. The healing process was complete. I can really appreciate the experience because like any pain I've endured, it helps give me depth I wouldn't have had if I never would have experienced it. It also gives me an understanding or empathy towards others that only comes when we can put ourselves in their shoes and grasp what such pain and suffering is like for them. Most of us who have been in prison know what it is like to hit rock bottom. Had I never experienced a dark night of the soul to by falling to such deep depths of hopelessness, how would I know what it is like when someone else is at the end of their rope without any hope and feeling complete despair? It's only by experiencing such deep anguish that I too can relate to theirs. Over the course of this life, I've learned not to be so quick in calling something a curse. Yes, it might be very unpleasant experiencing it, but in the right perspective, it very well may be a true blessing. Sorrow can be beauty, sadness transformed into joy. Had not the Phoenix been consumed in the pyre and turned into ashes, How could he rise up with the most gracious beauty and melody? Impossible. So I say, thank you, thank you, thank you to my life for all the ugly as well as the pleasant. Without it, I couldn't know depth. This is not only pain to purpose, but more importantly, purpose to pain. So I mean, really anything else I might possibly say uh, feels a little extra after this. Um, I remember something that Franco case that I can never pronounce his name correctly, that really struck me um, when he came to speak once at the village Zendo, and that the river of grief is the river that actually connects us all. And we try so hard to not go to and rest by and drink from and to just appreciate the depth and beauty of that river because the pain and the suffering of it is so scary to us that we miss the other side of it, which softens us, which opens us, which kind of almost against our will, Uh, softens us and opens us uh, so that we can really take in, I think, the enormity of the mystery of reality and of our lives and the connection between us and all things. So Our monthly ceremony of atonement is really here to remind us of just that, you know, and it's interesting. I was thinking, you know, when I was standing there that the center of any zendo is a bowing, you know, and we come in and we bow and we just surrender in this dropping down again and again and again as our needs and our heads just touch the floor. Hopefully our egos can drop a little bit, our sense of control, our sense of that things need to be the way that we think that they need to be And they are, um, and we don't just think about it, we kind of physically do it. And even if we're only doing, and I shouldn't say only doing, if we're doing a standing bow, it's the same thing as if we go down to the ground. It's that lowering self um, into that river where we acknowledge our humanity, which includes our faults, As well as our beauty. Um, Because of time, I don't really think we have time. Uh, I don't have a clock or a watch here. Can someone tell me what the time is like? And what time does this end? (laughs) Shinri was the one who knows all. (laughs) Usually, seven. Okay. Seven ish. Okay. You know, but it's during this ceremony that we're reminded um, through the precepts how important and how vital it is that we look at and make contact with all those places inside ourselves that we don't want to go and often that we're not aware of and so it just all begins with an awareness that these things are there probably more deeply than we're willing uh, or able to recognize uh, on an everyday on an everyday be- basis and the precepts sort of give us various windows or ways into being and seeing um, those aspects of the self. Uh, The self that wants to kill parts of ourselves, sometimes others, many things, the many ways we kill, uh, the many ways that we can steal. Uh, because we somehow feel we don't have enough or that we aren't enough? Uh, how might we steal? The way we misuse sex and other people to fulfill our own needs. Uh, The fourth one. The fourth one. Thank you. Um, The way we lie, God. So many ways we can lie, you know, usually to avoid in some way seeing what we don't want to see about ourselves, about a situation, just about what's happening. Um, Often before we know it, we can be lying. So when we look at these precepts, it's like an opportunity. How may I not be telling the truth in this situation to myself or to another? Thank you. Clouding the mind. Uh, how we delude ourselves uh, either through intoxication or Netflix or righteous agendas that we take to be the truth, so many various ways that we can create Filters really between uh, ourselves and just seeing the truth of reality how it is in that moment. Um, not blaming others and elevating, not speaking of others' faults and elevating ourselves, you know. How delicious can that be, Um, especially when we feel threatened or we realize that we've made a mistake. It's like, you know, sometimes we will do anything to avoid admitting that we made a mistake. And if it wasn't for that person doing that, I would never have done this. So um, it's very insidious the way we can do that. And so how do we elevate ourselves by speaking of others' errors and faults and putting others, others down? Again, what a way to make ourselves feel better and to connect on a very superficial way with other people. But what's happening underneath that? You know, what is the need? What is driving the need? to do that uh, so we not only just want to look at the behavior but also what is underneath that behavior where is where is that coming from not being stingy again we're also known as not sparing the dharma assets you know how do we hold back not only what we have, but ourselves, our very selves. Um, And there's so many ways that we can do that financially, emotionally, with our time. It's always an interesting thing to ask oneself. And these things change over time, not being angry, but really we practice not indulging in anger because when we're just angry, actually that can be a healthy thing and can actually be the path to wisdom. But it's that indulging in anger and to meet and act out of our knee-jerk reactions when reality is not how we'd like it to be or should be. And often there are very real reasons to be angry, but how do we get stuck there? And how do we get so consumed by that energy? That rather than becoming a very powerful and skillful vehicle for change, because usually that is an indication of change is needed, to uh, just deepening the problem, prompting the anger. And then lastly, how do we defame the three treasures, which is... Buddha Dharma Sangha, which is our lives, which is the world as we know it, which is which is everything. Mm-hmm. How do we not appreciate ourselves, others, and this life? So these precepts really give us a means to look at these questions um, of of how we become one with all parts of ourselves and, and the world at large. They otherwise, you know, it can be so vast and so open. It's like, what does that even mean? But this kind of allows us to open the various windows and go into them as to what that means. And it's clear from Donald's writing that maybe not through Zen, but he went there. He opened those windows uh, into himself, into his past actions, which were very harmful, uh, but which came from very deep, wounds they didn't come out of nowhere and that's the other piece of us we also have to look at where this stuff comes from ourselves to see our wounds so that we can heal them so i guess i know time is is passing and um i would just like to wish everybody, and particularly Donald at this time of his passing, in his case, a peaceful journey into his next life, Um, and for him to realize, I hope he realizes that he has been seen, and he has been heard, and his life has touched, and I think will continue to touch many, and... Wishing all of you a peaceful journey in this life.